Hey everybody, I'm Two-Tone. And I'm Mitch the Peach. Welcome back to the Hills of Silent Podcast, where we chop it up about the games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let's get into it. What's going on, Mitch? Oh man, still doing lots of gaming. I've been, yeah. uh... I haven't hit the uh, a time in my life where I'm super busy, so it's it's. Uh, I've been knocking out more games, and I played some good ones, and uh, one in particular that I'm I'm really gonna try and sell you because I want you to play it. Okay. Um. So my first one is called Signalis. I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit prior to this, but uh, it's a classic survival horror experience. It's very, very, very similar to Resident Evil. And when I say that, it's the solving puzzles, it's killing or avoiding nightmarish creatures, zombie type things, limited inventory slots, safe rooms, all that stuff that really is, you know, the Resident Evil style of things. Nice. Um, it's developed by the best thing. I, I beat the game and I see the credits and I'm expecting, you know, a ton of names in the credits and like, you know, how it goes. like. It, it lasts for a super long time. No, there are two people who developed this game. The whole studio is two people Whoa. called uh, Rose Engine Studio. I want to give them a shout out. Wow. Yeah, two person German studio, um, which I saw that and I was like, I was in awe. Like I was like, I was like, okay, because it's a very impressive game. And for two people to only work on it, that's awesome. Because like their names were next to everything that the game, basically everything except for the music that was done on it. So like, Every line said the same two names <laughs> throughout the whole credits. I wonder what engine they made that in. You think it's a like an Unreal Engine game? Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I didn't look that up, but I'm I definitely want to check that out um, because yeah, it's impressive. Like I, I wonder how long it took them too. Yeah, how long did it take you to beat the game? Fairly short. Um, I'd say probably hmm, eight to ten hours. Okay, that's yeah. Not bad. I mean, is it still it was perfect amount for a campaign i mean i i like those short campaigns that are just you know eight to ten hours and i'm through yeah same here so you were you were telling me that you streamed recently for like six hours was it that game it was not that game but i did stream that game for a time i think i got halfway through um and then i kind of switched games because i beat it on my own because i really wanted to keep playing it but uh I didn't want to wait and do it on stream. Uh, okay. I actually played uh, House of Ashes, the um, not to get too off script. House of Ashes, the uh, the Dark Pictures anthology. There's yeah. uh, four of those games now, and they're all kind of like that choose your own adventure style of can you make it out alive with every character that they have, kind of thing. So the House of Ashes, uh, which one is mm -hmm. that in the series? That's the one. It's the third one in the series. Okay, it's uh, where they go to. It's um, these army patrol uh, men that are going to Iraq and they fall through I don't know, some sort of sinkhole and they end up in this, I don't know, Egyptian sort of like area where they run into all these vampire bat zombie things. It it what? sounds ridiculous and that's literally what it is <laughs> wow that's cool yeah i've been meaning to check those out so were you playing those on game pass or did you buy them on steam or no i bought them all actually yeah but they've they've dropped in price quite a bit recently i mean i usually wait on them and you can get them for like 15 to 20 bucks yeah, you know what, maybe a little less wait what console did you buy them on i bought them on xbox okay dang i wanted the i wanted the achievements so um 
See, I've been eyeballing that series for a while. And like you said, they've been dropping in price recently. I just picked up the first one and the third one, which I think you said is the House of Ashes one. Yes. But I picked them up for PlayStation 4. Okay. Uh, yeah. The second one is is by far the, the worst in the series. I've uh, played three of the four now. And if you skipped two, you'd be totally fine. Really? Like it's not even worth bothering playing? Nope. Not worth bothering. No. Wow. See, it was, was fun on stream because I could interact with my viewers and whatnot. And those are, it's always fun when you're doing those like choose your own adventure where people in your chat are telling you if you should do this or, you know, if you should run or hide or whatever. But uh, playing on my own, I wouldn't have done it. Mm, okay. Yeah, because the second one, for some reason, on PlayStation 4 is the most expensive right now. So hmm. I was holding off on picking it up, but if it's not even worth picking up, then I won't. No, I would I would save and wait for the... Well, the fourth one just came out called The yeah. Devil and Me, and that one's that. actually based off of a Chicago serial killer okay. um, during the World Fair. Uh, and it's he has his own like trap house, kind of like Saw, like the mm. Saw series. He has his own trap house, and there's people that get stuck in his house, and they have to escape. So they're all co-op, right? You can play them all online with other people? You can play them all online with other people. I did them all solo myself. Um, okay. And they, it's kind of weird when you do it solo because you can tell exactly when you change characters where it's like, oh, that should be two second player, but it, they're just making it be me again. Hmm. They kind of make it a little obvious. So if you were playing in co-op would you just not see those scenarios as the second pe second person like are you missing out i don't think you miss out i think it just cuts over to the second person and then it's like oh you're in control now i think you still see the whole thing okay oh so you guys aren't playing at the exact same time it's literally switching off is that you're, how it is right Kai, yeah you're you're watching the whole thing but you're not always in control i think some people are in control of different characters at different times okay uh Weird, because That's... they always they always cut to different characters because uh, they usually get split up at some point. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I don't know how they determine that though. That's that's an interesting approach to co-op because I was reading up on the games before I bought them, and it was saying you could play up to five players locally. So I'm like, what does that mean? So I I was reading the description. And it basically is like every time it switches characters, you're supposed to just hand your controller to the next person in the room. So nobody's ever actually playing at the same time. You're just passing the controller for the different scenarios. So that's why I'm totally fine playing those on my own, because I don't feel like there's really much to gain from playing them in co-op. Yeah, that's that's good to know, because I originally was going to be like, we should run through them all in co-op if you don't mind playing them again. But if it's not us actually playing together like at the same time, then it may not no. actually be worth it. Huh? Nope. Unfortunately not. It's just one big story, and they're like, okay, you can control the character at this moment, and you can control the character at that moment. Yeah. So but sometimes there's like sequences where like both characters, there's like multiple people like running and doing something at the same time, and then they'll like quickly pan to like back and forth so sometimes i guess there's a little bit of gameplay at the same time hmm. so what was so bad about the second one i don't want to spoil the ending in case you do end up playing it but the, okay. the ending and how they tried to tie it all together just made me so furious that i, I just did not want to go back into it so it's bad story 
had a lot to do with it then. Is that what you're getting at? Bad story. Yeah. I mean, all those games are never like, I don't know. They're the writing is never like the best, like uh, on any of those dark pictures. It's more like just the, the concepts are fun and you kind of just like root for some of the characters within it while you're playing. Um, there's also a couple mechanics like in the second one that they don't have in the other ones of where like every time you make a choice, your um, I don't know, your ambition could go up or your um, how afraid you are could go up or your relationships between characters can go up or down. Um, and if you didn't have it at a certain bar by the end, characters would automatically die and you couldn't because you and you couldn't do anything about it because you didn't make dialogue choices along the way that got their like i don't know their their anger at a certain <laughs> at a certain height or like their ambition at a certain height which i guess is like i guess it's it makes sense when it's like a choose your own you know dialogue and adventure but it it, it seemed kind of unfair by the end yeah uh is the quarry is that made by the same development team i th- that's a good question i'm not sure because supermassive does some of them. Let's see. Corey. Director. Developer Supermassive Games. Who do, Look up uh, the dark pictures. I'm not sure if that's Supermassive as well. Yeah, it is. It, says, it is? Okay. Yeah, they, they made all the dark pictures, and then they released the quarry, too. Yeah. Damn, they, yeah, and the quarry is like... They do. They have four of those dark pictures games, and then they have the quarry. Yeah. Did you play the quarry? I own it. It's next on my list, I think, to stream. I'm going to go into that one. Okay. I wonder. I heard that one's a little longer than the other, than the Dark Pictures, and it's pretty good. Okay. So have you played it at all yet? Nope. Haven't touched it. Okay. That's one we could maybe do uh, together. Do you have. What do you have it on Xbox? I do, yeah. Dang, I got to get an Xbox, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eventually. Yeah. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder if the co op's the same way where. You're not like both both actually on scene at the same time playing at the same time. I don't know. I'll dig I think into it that. probably is a lot of time with those type of games. That's kind of how they roll. But yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, look at that one. Cool man. Well, I definitely want to check out those dark picture ones I just got. They're fun. They're worth. The, I, they're short games. I mean, they're really chill. Like just, just chill on your couch or chill on your computer chair and just play them through, and you don't have to think too much. You know, and they. The stories are good. They take interesting turns. Uh, the dialogue's a little cheesy, but I think they're fun and worth playing. Cool. But I want to go back to Signalist though, because that's the one where I'm trying. I want to. <laughs> I'm trying to sell you on this one because I want. I want you to play it. Um, so the graphics. I was looking at like what they what they deem the graphics are for Signalist, and they call it a two and a half D perspective. Have you ever heard of two and a half D? So it's not. 2D and it's not 3D. Yeah, usually I'm looking at the screenshots now and usually when I think 2.5D I think of a game that's actually made in a 3D engine but you're only able to go left or right. So like maybe like Mortal Kombat like the recent Mortal Kombat games or something, like that would consider that 2.5D where okay. you're, you're restricted in your movement. The signal is, it looks more like uh i would call this like an isometric view but i'm just looking at still screenshots right um 
but but it has that that I guess the HD 2D <laughs> look to it that I I guess I've I've been playing those type of games a lot lately, and I've I've really liked that they kind of revived that 2D um, aspect in newer age games and made them look really pretty. And I don't know, I, I think the game was a lot of fun. So the storyline is you play as what they call a replica known as Elster. And the replicas are androids made with, uh, they have like copied human neural implants that are, that they essentially use these androids for military and labor force. Um, this uh, nation that is, uh, is at war with another nation. The consequence for these humans using these, or I guess implanting these neural implants with these replicas is they have human desires like listening to music, falling in love, or wanting to bathe and things like that. Which brings me, which brings me to what the goal is and why you're controlling Elster and what she's trying to do. Um, basically, she's trying to find this android partner that she worked with on this spaceship and she wakes up from this long slumber and she realizes that majority of the staff is dead on this spaceship and many of them are now hostile so that's where it comes in where basically you have the limited inventory you're solving puzzles and you're trying to defend yourself against these now rogue android nightmarish looking creatures um, so I did a lot of reading on the story because I'm going to admit when I played through it, I didn't know what the heck was going on a lot of the time <laughs> <laughs> when I read it, it kind of made sense now, but going into it completely blind, I re- this, this, they didn't have a lot of dialogue, so I didn't really know what was going on, hmm. but the gameplay wise, fantastic, really reminded me of resident evil. Like I said, ton of fun, short eight to ten hours it was definitely worth the playthrough and it was on game pass (laughs) nice uh i'm looking at the videos now and actually seeing the graphics in motion it has almost like a old school um like pre-rendered graphics look to it like if you're going to play like an old ms dos game and they switch to a cutscene where it's pre-rendered that's kind of what it reminds me of which i always thought that old 3d pre-rendered look was always so creepy to me it just had this weird surrealness to it yeah this was me cool, playing man. that game like late at night uh just on my couch hanging out like when i wasn't streaming it like it was super just eerie and like they really made it a creepy atmosphere especially with like the cutscenes where honestly i didn't know what was going on but they were still so intriguing to me because they were just very like out there and different um yeah, but really enjoyed it. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, that is Signalis. Uh, again, yeah, it's on Game Pass, Game Pass for PC. So even though you don't have an Xbox mic, you can still play it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna check this one out. Um, aside from that, though, I have one other game I want to talk about, and uh, yeah. this one—I uh, don't know if you'd be into it, but it's—it's it's a type of game that's super up my alley. It's called Triangle Strategy, and Triangle Strategy is a turn. 
a turn-based uh, role-playing game, which is like, super similar to uh, Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics. Essentially, it's the type of game where you're taking turns, moving characters from your party, commanding them to attack or defend. And, you know, you only have... Your enemies also have one turn. You basically go back and forth with characters on your team and then the enemies that you're facing. Um, and then once you're out of battle, you're using the resources that you gain from battle to upgrade your party and, you know, give them more attack or, you know, magic damage or swap weapons, swap armor and whatnot. So basically trying to power you up for the next fight that you eventually run into. Um, and then your your party consists of a bunch of different, I guess, types of roles so it's like there's archers, there's swordsmen, there's horse riders, there's mages, and they all kind of like work together in this pretty massive story um, throughout throughout the entire game. And I want to bring up again who it's developed by. So it's uh, developed by uh, Tomoyama Asano, who developed Octopath Traveler, if you're familiar with that game. Mm-hmm. Uh Again, it's going to go back to, I guess I, I have a theme this week. It, it's Their graphics are HD 2D, is what they call them. Um, and I think they look beautiful, but it reminds me so much of Octopath Traveler. So when I was looking yeah. up who was developing it, uh, I was like, okay, that makes complete sense. Because Octopath honestly one of my favorite games I played last year. And uh, it looks very similar, but very good. Wow. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's uh, published by Square Enix. I'm surprised I didn't hear about this game. It's actually up for the Game Awards, which are happening right now. It's up for one of the nominees. Uh, I'm not sure which one, but uh, it, it did get a lot of good praise. Yeah. So the storyline, which I, I, I think it's the best part of the game. Like I love I love the turn-based gameplay. I love the Fire Emblem game, so I knew I would like that part, but... The story is kind of what got me. Uh, it's very much like Game of Thrones, which, I mean, as a huge Game of Thrones fan, I mean, I was like, this is awesome. So there's three nations that are battling for control of resources. The main resources in this game were salt and iron. Um, and you you control many characters because it's obviously a turn base and you have a whole party. But the main character uh, is this lord called Serenoa. He's the heir to one of the most prominent houses of one of the three nations that are fighting for these resources. And then through his leadership and then working with the party that he has, they have to make decisions throughout the game to navigate conflict and ultimately decide what ending you get in the game. So they always have like during the story, they'll always like pause and there'll be times where it's like, okay, let's get the party together and let's make a choice. You need to convince your party, which choice is the best choice to move on. So essentially the game, you could play the game multiple times and you could get different gameplay throughout because you could make one choice and go one route. And then you can make another choice and go a completely different route. And with that being said, and the part that made me incredibly angry because I, I probably I only play games one time. They have something called the golden ending. And if you make all the correct choices or what they deem the, the right choice for everyone, you get the golden ending. And I did not get that because I didn't realize there was a golden ending until I was already 
too far along. And then I realized that I had made every right choice, but one specific part, and uh, which meant that I was never going to get the golden ending. Uh, yeah, sometimes games with multiple endings, especially, like you said, when they have one ending that's supposed to be the correct ending, those get on my nerves. Yeah, it's especially because it was a very minor thing that I did to make it so I could never get it. And I was too far along after that for me to want to go back and redo what I did. So I was like, okay, well, the ending that I got was still satisfying though. So at least there was that. Yeah. With this being a turn-based RPG, how long is it? Very long. Yes. I think I'm, I like how the switch like tells me how much, how many hours that I have on certain on games as That's I'm cool. playing them. I, I can go out into my little dashboard and look. I would say that I am at probably 40 to 50 hours. I, I think probably around 50 hours to beat it. Wow. It was a lot of just me, a lot of late night, Mitch in bed, can't sleep, just playing a Switch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one looks cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a commitment, but those are like probably my bread and butter of the games that I love. I'm a big Fire Emblem fan, so yeah, uh, yeah it, it it was it it was great, and the story just got me throughout the whole thing too. So that that was an added plus. Oh, I didn't know you played the Fire Emblem games. Yeah, I I played Three Houses, the one on Switch, and man, that one I burned through that one so good. Man, there's a lot of those games. Those go all oh, the way so, back so to many. 1990. Wow. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to go back and play some of those. I feel like I've only played more of the, I guess, the somewhat recent. I think I started on GameCube, and then I played majority of them on, like, 3DS, DS, and then now the Switch. Yeah, I knew they were on a lot of the handhelds. Which one's mm -hmm, the GameCube that one? Oh my gosh, I can't even think. There's, I know there's one on GameCube though, and I can't think of the name Some of it. Game Boy, it's a bunch of Game Boy Advance ones. Mm-hmm. Is it? Oh, Path of Radiance. Uh, yes. Okay. Wow, that's that's a throwback right there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Hmm. I wonder how much that goes for these days. Oh, I'm sure those those Fire Emblem games. They're they're definitely collector games for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Path of Radiance, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. So GameCube games are really expensive now, and mm -hmm. you mix that with it being a, a JRPG. Those yeah, are the, that's those are the two recipes for an expensive old game. Uh, whoa, exactly. For just the disc, the average price mm -hmm. is one hundred and eighty dollars. For the whole thing man. with the case and manual, the average price is two hundred and fifty dollars. Holy crap. I'm not surprised, though. That one's pretty sought after. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, those are my, those are what I've been playing. Uh, I've been excited to talk about both of those, especially Triangle Strategy as well, because it took me so long to even beat it. So <laughs> I had to at least talk about it. Yeah, that but, was uh, an epic journey. Hmm, definitely. But uh, what's Mike been playing lately? Yeah, I've been playing one game lately. Uh, it's called Omega Boost, and it came okay. out on the original PlayStation. I got it right here with me, so you can take a look at it. Nice, look at that art. 
uh, yeah, pretty funky looking uh, uh-huh. robot mech game. So it's made by the same development team that makes all of the Gran Turismo games. Oh, wow. Uh, apparently, they took a small break in between making those games and developed this one. So this is the this is the only, as far as I know, this is the only non-racing game that that development studio has made. Yeah, that's interesting. And it came out right towards the end of the PlayStation's life cycle. And because of that, and because it was developed by a team that had a lot of experience with the PlayStation hardware, it allegedly is the game with the best graphics for the PlayStation 1. And I can say, playing this... For a PS1 game, these graphics are really good. They got a lot of juice out of the PlayStation with this game. So it's it didn't sell well because it was released so late in the PlayStation uh, life, which means it's kind of a hard game to come by. And I just happened to be checking the, the online store for one of the used video game stores that's nearby and I saw it pop up. And since it's a lesser known game and it's not something that's really sought after, it actually was pretty cheap. I think I paid about 30 bucks for it. So that's kind of what, what I go towards when I'm collecting. Like there's definitely these titles, like for example, Path of Radiance that everybody knows about, everybody wants it. There's not a lot of copies out there because GameCube games did not really sell a lot. So the value is just up like crazy. There's plenty of games that I would love to buy, but they're just, I'm, I'm totally priced out. I'm just not going to pay that much for that game. It's not that serious. If I really want to play it, I'll just play it on an emulator. So what I like to do is find lesser known games that all the collectors aren't after, but are still good games. And I heard that this was a good game. So I went to that game store and picked up the copy, and I was talking to the guy that works there, and he was telling me, He's like, as many years as I've been here, I think this is the only time that this game has come through my store. So I'm like, all right. So that kind of tells me the rarity of this game. Yeah. And I was talking to him, and I was like, one of the other reasons I picked it up is because one of my favorite bands is the heavy metal band Static X. They were huge in the early 2000s. They have really good music, though, even... Recently, they've released a good album, but their lead singer, rest in peace, Wayne Static, died some years back. So they still tour, they still make music, but it's with a different singer. But the theme song for this game is Static X. So I thought that was pretty cool. So being a game collector and somebody who has a lot of uh, fandom, I guess to say, for Static X, I'm like, this is definitely something for me to pick up. You can actually see right in the liner, they've got oh, wow, music awesome. by Static X. Uh, so yeah, I got it's home. Awesome. The copy you picked up, the copy you picked up had the, the inserts in it too. That's pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, that's, pretty, that's awesome. Yeah, man. When I collect, I try to go for the, the complete thing, case and manual and everything. Right. Don't always get it though. But yeah, so I was like, I'm eager to check this out. Popped it into my PlayStation 3 because that plays PS1 games. Uh, and yeah, it's awesome. 
It is a really good game. It's a rail shooter. Like you kind of you're you're this mech robot and you just go through these different stages. Each one is completely different. You have tons of firepower and you're limited in your movement. The closest game I could could compare it to would be something like Panzer Dragoon, if you've ever heard of that or ever played that game. That was a similar rail shooter that came out on Sega Saturn. But this to me is better than Panzer Dragoon. And that game was considered one of the best Sega Saturn games, at least as far as the ones that were, were released in North America. But it is a lot of fun. It is fast-paced. It is definitely skill-based. My only complaint is you have limited lives. And if you don't beat the game in those limited lives, you have to start all the way back at the beginning. And I hate when uh. games do that. That's not so common anymore, but a lot of older games would just give you limited lives that you'd have to go through the whole game with. And especially on like original Nintendo or Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis, that wasn't very common on the PlayStation 1. So I'm surprised that this game works that way, especially since it was a later PS1 release. So I haven't beaten it yet. I keep getting farther and farther every time, but I'm just like, God, man, I don't want to sit here and play through the first three, four, five levels over and over and over again just to get a little bit farther, a little bit farther. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I recommend it to anybody out there, and this game is either going to slip away into obscurity or other people are going to catch on that this is a gem on the PlayStation, and it's probably going to jack up in price and collectability. There you go. You're you're in before the uh, the masses, right? <laughs> yeah. So I try to do, man. When everyone's yinging. I try to yang. There you go. So many games during that era, too. I mean, collect. I mean, collecting is. There's a lot of hidden gems out there. It's easy to find them. Yeah, and and on PlayStation One. Speaking of JRPGs, those are usually the most expensive games. As far as trying to trying to rebuy them today. Yeah, I think when we were at uh, Mega Replay the last time, taking a look at some of those, they were—I know the ones in the that they kept in the glass case were all the the super rare RPGs that uh, I can't think of the name of the series that you said. There was one with like it had a ton of games in the series, and there was a there were a bunch of JRPGs, and I can't think of it, but I'll, I'll think of it after the podcast, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I guess yeah. The, I totally understand those those JRPGs. They're they're the collector's piece. Yeah. So playing this PlayStation One game has got me real nostalgic for the PS One, and we're coming up to Christmas. Christmas is right around the corner. The PlayStation One was one of my best Christmas memories. I don't remember how old I was, maybe nine or ten, and I was begging my parents for a PS1 or an N64. Probably both. I was probably asking for both because they both came out around the same time. And my parents were just like, nope, we're not getting it for you. We're not getting it for you. And I was just like, dang, dude, that is that's all I want. There's nothing else I want. And I did end up getting a PlayStation for Christmas and I ended up finding out about it accidentally on Christmas Eve. So it was the night before Christmas, and I went and 
knocked on my parents' door to their bedroom, but bursted in right after knocking. I was a rude child. And as soon as I did that, my parents were wrapping the Christmas presents, and I saw my dad looking at the PlayStation 1 box, and then he saw me, and he was like, oh, crap, and he just kind of huddled over it, and they're like, what do you want? Get out of here. So I left, I left the room, shut the bedroom door. I'm like, yes, I'm getting a PlayStation 1. And uh, my dad ended up doing a good job picking up some games for me. He got me the console. He got me Parappa the Rapper, which is a great, great game. He got me Jet Moto, which was a good racing game. Uh, Air Combat. And I think that was it. I think those are the four he got, got me. But all of those were solid games. And that was an amazing Christmas. And then that Christmas night, when we all went to Grandma Maxine's, for the family dinner, I had brought mm-hmm. my PlayStation over there and was playing it. Yep, you were you were always the one to get me into, you know, whatever the latest games were. You, you were always the one that I, I had to beg my dad for it after seeing you playing stuff. I was like, I, I gotta have that. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, but we've been talking about Christmas a couple of times in these podcast episodes. I remember you telling me that you'd gotten a new Xbox controller. The day after your last one crapped out. Uh, is there any other memorable Christmas that you had? Yeah, that that was memorable in the bad way, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll switch gears and find to what to a good memory from Christmas. I the Gears of War franchise near and dear in my heart, even to this day. Uh, as a kid, Gears of War 1 was coming out. I don't even know what, how old we were then, but uh, quite a few years ago at, that, at this point. Um, but I remember I really wanted Gears of War because I knew my friend Tim was going to get Gears of War as well. And they had already stated that they're going to have a campaign co-op. And we're like, you know, we're going to burn through this. And, you know, right on Christmas, we're going to play. Well, Tim gets it on Christmas Eve. You know, his family had a thing where they got the open presents early. He got it on Christmas Eve, and I'm, like, begging him. I'm like, dude, do not start it. Just wait for me. And thankfully, he did. Um, so Christmas morning, I open him up. I get the Gears of War. Tim is at church. He's, like, telling me, send me some voice message on Xbox 360. You know, he's like, hey, you need to wait on me now. Like, I will play when I get back. And so, yeah, just a really good memory of uh, him getting back from church and us playing through uh, the Gears of War, uh, Gears of War 1 through the whole Christmas break until we finished it. Uh, and then burning in through that, uh, going into the multiplayer, which was, which oh. really was a, like the first experience with that multiplayer, I was hooked yeah, from the it's start. it's so good. So I had beaten that on co-op multiple times, but I always did it through split screen. So you guys did it online? We did it online, yes. I guess I'd never realized that it had the co- the online co-op in the first game. I thought it only had local co-op. It had online because you could play as both. Uh, I remember it was, I remember like inviting him in and then he would automatically be Dom. Yeah. And you know, it was Marcus Phoenix. But yeah, I'd, I do remember that uh, us playing it online. Do you remember if it was just two players multiplayer, or could you play like a a full squad of four online? 
Because I think you just could two in the players. Later okay, yeah. I think the, the later four. games there was. I think they did open it up for four. Okay. But no, the uh, the first the first one was just two. Yeah, I wonder um, which game. And the multiplayer was funky too because you know matchmaking wasn't a thing like a standard thing for every single game. Halo Two kind of. Um, Halo 2 kind of start, started that as far as like the online matchmaking, inviting your friends, joining a party, and then getting in the game together. But Gears of War, you had to like join lobbies and just, then just like keep joining lobbies to try and get all of your friends in the same lobby and get on the same side so you could play together. Dang. Yeah, there was no like queuing together. It was just like, all right, are you you're in this one? There's only like two of eight people. Get in here. Like... <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Much simpler times now. Yeah, two player consoles can get four players. Yeah. At least in Gears of War three, up to four people could play the campaign and co op. Man, that was okay. awesome. Gears of War three, man, that was such an amazing game. And being able to play that co op with four people and it has the really good multiplayer mm -hmm. and the horde mode. Wow. And then after that one, is that when they completely ruined it with Judgment? Yeah. I remember buying Judgment <clears throat> only a few months after it came out. And I blew through the single-player campaign. It was very forgettable. And when I tried to go online, there was zero lobbies. And this was just a few months after the game had come out. I'm like, I know it's not mm -hmm. the best game, but... For a franchise as big of gear as big as Gears of War to hop in the multiplayer and there be zero players a few months after release, that was crazy. People were just like, "Forget this. We're just gonna go back to the Gears of War three because it's just better." Yeah, it really was. It yeah, Judgment was just totally like a recycle of assets and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of Gears of War, though. So Cliff Blazinski, the I believe he was the creative director at Epic, and was like the lead one of the leading uh, um, forces behind Gears of War. Yeah. Basically, I guess it was his idea, and a lot of the the game mechanics were his idea. He directed the first one, the second one, and the third one. Uh, I think he had a very small role in Judgment. Uh, and he's also done some other great games like Bullet Storm. I played through that back in the day. That was a great game. Um, before that, he worked on the Unreal Tournaments, which were amazing, amazing games in their own right. Yeah, what was he just released a book, which is essentially his life story. He starts out from when he was a kid and getting into video games all the way up to starting to make games, getting a job at Epic, working on Unreal Tournament, working on Gears of War, and seeing that blow into this huge franchise. And then later on, he decided to leave Epic, and then uh, he founded his own game studio where they released a game called Lawbreakers, mm -hmm. which did not do well, but apparently it was a good game. It just didn't get the audience it needed to so i 
blew through this book. It was really, really good. It was very interesting, well-written, an incredible story. And then after I finished it, I tweeted out to Cliff Blazinski and said, hey, the book was great. And this, this is the awesomeness of social media nowadays. So you can just reach out to somebody who makes whatever art you're consuming, whether it be a game or a book or a movie, and you know there's a chance they can reply. So he replied to my tweet, was like, thank you, man. Uh, let other people know about the book. So I really appreciated that. Uh, but yeah, I recommend this to anybody that's curious about the history of Gears of War and or Unreal Tournament or just to hear what it's like to work in the game industry. And after listening to the chapters where he talked about Lawbreakers, I am actually really upset that I never played that game. I'm trying to think if I did. I might have. It's just it came and went so quickly that I I can't remember if I did or not. Yeah, that was And I'm trying to think what type of game it was. It was it was very much like a Unreal Tournament-esque, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that was the issue. It was it was a a hero arena style shooter and it was online only and since it couldn't get the player base it needed eventually the servers were shut down so you can't even play this game anymore no they actually i don't know if you talked about that in your book he and you might need to look this up or i might too but he I'm not sure if it was after Lawbreakers or before, but he tried to create a Battle Royale. Yeah, he did talk about that in the book as well. And I did play that. Really? It was, I did, and it was very rough. <laughs> you could tell, because like, they even said it was like, this is very, very early access, and God, they were not kidding. It was bare bones almost. It had some cool concepts that I feel like even Fortnite might have took some of them at some point, but like... It was just so rough. Like, I think they were just trying to rush it out at that point. Yeah, he does discuss that in the book. And he basically explains it as being their last ditch effort Mm -hmm. to keep the lights on in the studio. Uh, And yeah, he said it did actually get a lot of traction. But they were getting hard, hit hard by the hackers because they had no anti cheat in place. And that just what little traction it gained, the hackers just destroyed that. Yeah, and because I I saw, I mean, when I was around when I was playing it, like popular streamers even were giving it a try, like the Tim the Tatmans and the Ninjas and whatnot. They were diving in and giving it a try. It was just so bare bones, and you could tell it was a last ditch effort when they were really just trying to throw something out there just to see if it would stick. Um, but it's sad because it's another one just like Lawbreakers where it really it, he knows what he's doing overall. I just think I I think marketing plays a huge role in games. I think, you know, it, it, releasing stuff in the right timing is, is huge. Like it's not always about, you know, what you know, if the game is if it's a good game to some. I, I don't know if that's the correct way to phrase that, but. My best example is look at a game like Among Us. Like that game was out for years, just sitting in the Steam marketplace, never being bought. 
and then some random streamer picked it up and started playing it and now it's become one of the biggest sensations ever <laughs> but it had been that they the people that had like created it had abandoned even like updating it like they were done and then once like the streamer brought it in and everybody started playing it that small development team was like crap all right let's we'll get back to it <laughs> yeah, i did not know that i didn't know that was the history of that game Mm-hmm. yeah so timing's huge huh. or just like an opportunity for exposure yeah yeah you have to get the audience for a game for it to really take off and you got to have the right team um lawbreakers it sounds like it was a good game but in his book he explains it that the other developers working on the game weren't necessarily into that type of game like a lot of them were mainly fans like mobas and stuff so even though they were all talented developers and and designers it sounds like they didn't quite have the passion for a shooter that someone like cliff blazinski has so also part of it was wrong team to be making that type of game and not enough marketing too much competition because right around that time overwatch came out and all these other big hitters oh wow okay um, interesting yeah. story yeah you definitely you talking about that makes me definitely want to dive in and, and read that i'm not a huge reader so maybe it'll be an audiobook but it'll <laughs> yeah Regardless, I want to hear the story because I was a huge Gears of War fan and I know a lot about Cliff through the years. Just, you know, he was always making media appearances for things. And he was a very well-known, you know, figure. And we always, you know, you always connected him with Gears of War all the time. So, yeah, yeah that's awesome. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. Another great book to check out along the same lines is Masters of Doom. And that's the story of id Software and all the games they created because i mean they were basically the originators of the first person shooter they made wolfenstein doom quake and they came up in the early 90s kind of they're kind of like the uh, founding fathers of video games to an extent mm -hmm. or at least part of that so that is a very very interesting story as well Yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe I'll read more if I read more uh, gaming literature. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are the two I've read recently and both are highly recommended. Okay. All right, man. We are well into, well past the 45-minute mark, and I know we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Do you want to just save that for the next episode and wrap it up here? Yeah, I think that's good. I think we talked about, you know, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, thanks for sticking around to the end. If you did, we got more to come. Plenty more stuff to, that we didn't cover in this episode that we're going to cover in the next episode, plus more beyond that. Uh, Mitch, do you want to let them know where we can be found on all the social medias? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, you can find all our episodes on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and then you can follow us on our social media accounts. Our Twitter is at Hills Are Silent, Instagram backslash Hills Are Silent, and then our YouTube is at The Hills Are Silent. 
Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can also reach us in our email inbox. It's uh, hillsersilent at gmail.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.